here today because of the resurrected king. He actually reversed decay. He undid the grave clothes. Uh, the grave is empty. Jesus Christ is risen bodily. Uh, we are followers of Jesus, this resurrected king. And when I was a kid, we used to sing songs like this. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. He rose victorious o'er the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. Do you know that song? This is a last-minute edition. Here we go. <laughs> Up from the grave. Up from the grave he arose With a mighty triumph for his foes They rose victorious o'er the dark domain And he lives forever with his saints to reign He arose He arose He arose You may be seated. Patty, Tim, thank you for your last-minute addition. You guys are great. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, right at the end is where we left off last week, and that's one verse we're going to take today. Uh, we welcome those who are uh, physically uh, unable to come uh, to church today watching via simulcast. We're, we're glad that the simulcast can be a blessing in this interim season while you're at home. Thank you for watching. And also to Bel Air, uh, greetings to Pastor Bob and all of them. So would you join me in welcoming all of those. Verse 58 this is where we ended last week. I probably spent two minutes on it. Uh, so today we're going to uh, drill the mine shaft all the way down with this one. Paul says, therefore... My beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Be steadfast. That means to be settled and resolved in your mind. To be immovable literally means to be totally motionless. There are some things that we ought to be never moved on, firm convictions, and then he says, always abounding, that is exceeding, excessively overflowing and abounding in what? In the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray for God to move our hearts today. Father, thank you for this verse. It should be tattooed on our hearts. An action step to faith, to action to priorities, to convictions. Thousands of things could be said in terms of application today as we uh, seek to apply this word very specifically in the context of Northern Michigan and to New Hope, Lord, we pray that your grace would be here. Thank you, Lord, that the news of the resurrection, both Jesus's and ours, is the catalyst for this verse, which calls us to present action. Thank you, Lord, that this verse within its context says, since Jesus is risen and we too shall be risen, uh, thank you, Lord, that you call us to action. So use this verse, Lord, to lead to life change in very practical, hands-on ways. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So 
1 Corinthians 15, if you're new with us, this is uh, sermon number 23 uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians dealing with course corrections for the church. Uh, the way I take this verse today, specifically in this context, is a course correction on apathy. Would anybody just say, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm apathetic, right? Uh, here's, let's lower the guards down. All of us have been seasoned with a bit of apathy in our lives when it comes to the things of God. So it's not just for the person next to you, it's for all of us, it's for me. My passion isn't as it should be. My priorities are not always as they should be, et cetera, et cetera. So this is a message for all of us. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 dealt with the most important issue facing humanity, and that is our destiny, our destiny. Last week we talked about uh, the four big world views. And the four big world views, you could have this conversation with neighbors, coworkers, friends, family. It's very simple and it's non-threatening. Uh, origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Origin. Hey, where do you think we come from? I mean, no matter who you are on this planet, you have an answer for that. Uh, meaning, what is life all about? What is its deepest purpose? It's a great conversation to have with people. They might be totally wrong, but at least it gets a conversation going. Morality, how do we even know the difference between right and wrong? And destiny, here's what we covered last week in 1 Corinthians 15. Destiny, where are we going? What happens the moment that we pass from this life into the next? Well, as for destiny, many live like there is no eternity or as if eternity is just a non-issue. Maybe they just don't even care. Uh, some people are in the atheist camp for sure, people like Stephen Hawking, uh, who said this, in, fe in effect, that it all ends when we die. Uh, Stephen Hawking, uh, the a brilliant physicist, said, I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. And if you're here today as, as maybe one of those intellectual atheists, you know, listen, there's very, very smart people in those camps. They know their business like backwards and forwards. But when it comes to the afterlife, some people just chalk it up as fairy tale. Probably more common in northern Michigan uh, would be, we talked about them last week, is apathists. That is people that simply just don't even care. They're not opposed to God or religion. They're just bored. They consider God and the church boring or irrelevant. And their creed goes something like this. God might exist. He might not. There might be a judgment day. There might not. Hands up, guys. Everybody hands up. Oh, well. And that probably describes a good number of neighbors and coworkers and relatives in northern Michigan. It's not that they hate God. It's not that they're hostile, whether he exists or not. It, they just, frankly, it, it, it's as if it doesn't matter to them. Well, standing in contrast to that is the biblical message from 1 Corinthians 15, the whole chapter which talks about the destiny of humanity. Here's those verses. It says, we shall all be changed. The dead will be raised imperishable. This mortal body will put on immortality and death must be swallowed up in victory. That is good news. It is the hope of resurrection that we have granted for us by God's word in the scripture. And then we come to verse 58. Take a look at it again in your Bible. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding. Say those three with me. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding. Be steadfast is fixed priorities. 
immovable as firm convictions, abounding as fruitful actions. And this is the direction we're headed for today. This is not going to be uh, a, a heady theological treatise on this thing. This is going to be a relevant, main street, hands-on, practical, how do we apply this? We could apply this verse in thousands of ways. The challenge of this past week for me has been to narrow the focus in such a way that it is contextually driven to apply this verse to northern Michigan culture where people are busy and it's vacation land and what are the things that New Hope believers have in terms of fixed priorities, firm convictions and actions that the Lord may be indeed calling us to. So if you will forgive me if it is too narrow. But I wanted, to, to, I wanted this day to be extremely practical. So let's move to steadfast. It means resolute, firm, unwavering, steadfast. Our founding pastor is Mr. Standfast. On more than one occasion, people would call the office not knowing his name. Uh, they saw it briefly, and they would say, is Pastor Steadfast there? It was kind of funny, but let me tell you this. If you ever know Dave Standfast, uh, there, I know few people on this planet who are more steadfast than Standfast. <laughs> Unwavering, firm, resolute. He's a man of God. Where could we correct apathy and become more firm, resolute? Well, let's start in your personal devotional life, ours. Let's start with the sacred rhythms of how often we seek the Lord, perhaps in a resolute commitment to spend focused time with God every day with the Bible open, seeking him in prayer. Sometimes for an hour, sometimes for two hours, but every single day where you have a resolute, firm commitment that says, you know, the number one priority of the day is not the news, it is not social media, it is not my job, the number one priority of the day is not my friends, it's not my social life, my priority of the day is the sacred rhythms of seeking the Lord every day in a focused context of personal devotion. Ready? I'm ready. Here we go. My good buddy, our good buddy and friend and fellow believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, 26 years old, uh, Reese, passed away today. Uh, Jim and Derricka, uh, Jim is dad, Re, uh, Derricka's sister, are here today. Uh, we greet you and our hearts grieve with you. Uh, at the, the service, we read this part of the obituary for our good friend Reese who last Sunday in the midst of the message being on earthly mortality and how frail and weak and sudden life can end, what we didn't know is that morning Reese had passed unexpectedly at 26. We talked about the three progressions. It can't happen to me. It can happen. It will happen. My friend, it did, and our hearts grieve for this. But this is what was said in Reese's obituary. Reese loved God with all of his heart. He clung to God and his promises. His Bible was never far from his side, and he tried to spend each evening reading through God's word. When Reese's brother came up yesterday to 
give a tribute to his brother. Jared talked about that, about his brother's commitment to seek the Lord in the scripture. And he said that Reese felt this way, that if he read the Bible at night and couldn't remember what he read in the morning, it didn't count. Isn't that something? Where is your Bible? How often do you read it? Is it the first thing that you open in the morning? Is it on your nightstand? Or do you go to email or social media or Fox News or Wall Street Journal? There's a phenomenon in our culture right now. Uh, If you're old, uh, you have no idea what I'm talking about, okay? And I put myself in that category. Uh, If you're young, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's called Snapchat. As a teen, when I was a teen, well, let me say this. Snapchat has a thing called streaks. Uh, if you're, I'm not going to make fun of Snapchatters, okay, so, so don't, don't hesitate. I, I, trust me, I'm not going to make fun of you. But if you're a Snapchatter, just stand up for two seconds. Just, just seriously, stand up. If you're, stand up if you're a Snapchatter. Come on, teens. Others? Okay, all right, good. Thank you, sit down. They have a thing called streaks, okay, streaks. Now, when I was a teen, uh, a streak, (laughs) (laughs) well, it was one of two things. It 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 was either running naked publicly or it was unwelcome marks in the underwear, right? But now a streak is, uh, here it is, it's a, it's a thing. It's a big thing. You got to understand. It is continuous number of days you spend posting friends back and forth within a 24-hour period without a break. So you can start a streak, compete a streak, challenge others to a streak. Uh, my daughter Darcy has several streaks going, and I asked her yesterday, uh, would, would you... Uh, be willing just to take one day off on Monday if I asked you to, just to let all your streaks uh, end. And it was like, no, no. I mean, this is a thing. It's often the first action in the morning. Snapchatters do it. Streak counts number into the hundreds of consecutive days because they don't want to lose a streak. And people are genuinely devastated when they forget or a streak is broken. Like Abigail, she's 26 years old, true story. After 230 days of a streak, 230 consecutive days of a streak, Abigail says this, has hit national news. There is a hole in my heart, she says. I speak on behalf of the upset population of people who stood by my side as we lost our Snapchat streaks just yesterday. Every individual on this planet knows just how precious a streak can be. And if you're old and you don't understand, right, that's like, really? But if you're a Snapchatter, you understand. This question, if people are so resolute in daily Snapchatting, which keeps them in contact with their friends within every 24-hour period, why would we not give even higher priority to keep in daily contact with the king of the universe? 
Why not start a streak like that? Imagine, this is imaginary Abigail. Imagine Abigail, after 230 days of seeking the Lord, she forgot one day with Jesus. Imagine if her testimony said this. There's a God-sized hole in my heart for the first time in 230 days. I forgot to spend time with Jesus. I speak on behalf of the people of God everywhere who have encouraged me and stood by my side during the streak. Every individual on the planet knows how precious Jesus is. How could I go a day without him? So how many days of a streak do you have with God? That's my question, seriously. I mean, between you and him. Does it even exist? Have you even started one? Why not start a streak? Why not track a streak? Why not challenge another to a streak? Invite somebody else into it, because that's how accountability works. It keeps you uh, in it. Uh, And and here's how that looks, by the way. Uh, This is very, very practical, because I want to help you do what what I want to do as well, because I'm on a streak, but I I want accountability, and I want a brother in the Lord to have accountability with me here. So I know this guy is here. Uh, He doesn't know I'm going to challenge him, but uh, Josh Mosier, where are you at? (laughs) Josh, Josh, uh, would you streak with me? Yeah? You will? Okay. So starting today, you and I, we're streakers. Okay? Okay. So there you go. That's how you find an accountability partner, okay? I'm serious. So uh, this is real, though. Developing sacred rhythms, personal devotions of daily seeking God through the scripture and prayer. This is what it looks like to be steadfast. That is firm and resolute. And it starts in your home every morning. Where else could we become firm and resolute? Well, in the book of Revelation, Jesus, uh, Jesus applauds a church for a whole bunch of reasons. And I, and I think if Jesus were here, took the stage, I think he would applaud New Hope for a whole bunch of reasons. I, I could go into them, but I won't. I'm so proud of you guys. And I think Jesus would applaud and applaud and applaud. But then in the Revelation, Jesus, uh, the same church, he says, but... One thing I have against you. You've forsaken your first love. I think if Jesus took the stage, he would applaud us for a great many things. And I think that potentially he would just stop and, and, and wouldn't, wouldn't Jesus do this with a tone that's full of grace, wouldn't he? I think he would. Wouldn't he do it with a tone of mercy? But, but that attractional, invitational but my friend, I, I got one thing against you. Well, speaking hopefully on behalf of the Lord, if Jesus were here, I think he would say the one thing that he would say collectively as a church. And some people get this right. But one thing collectively that we just have wrong is our lack of commitment to praying together as a local church. Where the priority of praying together so drives us and moves us that we can't help but be in the presence of God with other people to lift up prayer together. We had a great time of prayer this morning, by the way. And there was 14 of us, praise God for that. It's pretty consistent, eight to 14. One person described prayerlessness this way. 
Prayerlessness uh, is described as uh, our declaration, read it with me, of independence from God. My friend, if anybody knows how to declare independence, it is Americans. And we've done it in prayer. So I want to warn you, uh, I am asking God uh, to do a deep internal work of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of God's people that gives a resolute, firm commitment to seek him in prayer. That's what I'm asking for. And the reason why I say I'm warning you is because all of a sudden one day when you wake up and you have a burden and a desire to come pray with God's people, you can blame me. (laughs) Imagine that. If all of a sudden you had a desire to pray with God's people, and it was driving you as if by necessity to pray with the pastors and the elders every week or once a month or what? I mean, wow, that would be awesome to see a firm, resolute commitment to prayer. I got an email this week uh, from a woman. She had a, a dream Uh, 2005, and here's what she sent me just this week. And I said, hey, can I share this Sunday? She said, yes. Uh, I am very thankful for the body of this church that has stood in the gap in prayer to push me up my mountains. God's anointing is coming to New Hope. The vision he showed me in 2005 of oil dripping off the handles of the church doors. People were running so eager to not miss the glory of his presence. God's plan is to bring his glory to heal and bless his people. Amen. And God's people said... Amen. 2005. It's 14 years ago. Well, what's God doing? (laughs) Well, that type of movement of the Holy Spirit, where it is the oil of his blessing, where people are running, where there's an eagerness to get into the presence of God and to seek God in prayer with other people, will happen in proportion to God's people praying together. Not a day sooner. So be steadfast. What would it look like for you to have a firm and resolute, unwavering commitment to praying together with God's people? Enough said. We're told to be immovable. Uh, Number two, immovable, uh, totally motionless, unwavering. Uh, Some things in life we just need to have firm convictions on. In other words, Uh, These are areas of your life that you have such a firm conviction that there's nothing in the world that can make you move off of this conviction. Firm, rock-solid convictions. Well, where could we correct our apathy? If this is a course correction on apathy, where could we develop stronger, firm convictions? How about this? Now we're going to deal within the context of the local church. How about faithful to Sunday gathering? It could be preaching to the choir this morning, so if this doesn't apply to you, give grace. But this applies to some. Our culture is anything but firm in its conviction of Sunday morning attendance, right? Our culture, this is a culture thing. And as a result of living in a culture like that, our attitude, that attitude has metastasized And it affects all of us. Uh, All of us now have been infiltrated by the same type of uh, thinking in which the priority and the firm conviction of the local gathering of believers on a weekly basis is a priority. You've heard it said by now, but I'll say it again. There's a poll taken nationally, and that poll shows 
that in all of America and all the cities around this world, around the 48 states, Traverse City and Cadillac ranks 14th in the most de-churched cities in all of the United States. That represents friends of mine, friends of yours, neighbors of yours, coworkers of yours, family members. It's people you know, their faces are coming to your mind right now that at one time were connected to the local church and nowadays they are no longer connected. I heard a podcast yesterday on uh, top reasons that people stop going to church and here's some, uh, some of those ones, five of them in fact, uh, I got out of the habit I didn't like the institutional church. I was hurt by someone in the church. I couldn't find a church to meet my needs. I never felt connected. These are just five of the reasons. Let me just briefly address each one. I got out of the habit. Well, frankly, my friend, that is the sheer laziness. And some de-church people are just so lazy, they just need to get back in church. Uh, I used to used to say it this way, and this is good to keep in mind for any de-church person, the hardest Sunday back is the first Sunday. Once that de-church person comes back and they experience the glory of God's presence and the community of God's people, it's like, I've been missing this. But there's an enemy of our soul that keeps people from that first time back. I got out of the habit is not a good excuse. I don't like the institutional church. Well, that's just plain selfish because Jesus loves his church and he doesn't give up on her, even though she's ugly sometimes. I was hurt by somebody in the church. That could be genuine, and I'm sorry if there's a legitimate hurt. However, there are no enduring relationships without forgiveness. And if you go through any length of time in the local church, you will be hurt by another Christian. You need to resolve, have a firm conviction in your heart that you will forgive that Christian and not leave the institutional church. Well, the church doesn't meet my needs. Well, stop being a consumer and build the body with your spiritual gifts. Well, I was never connected. That's a victim mentality. How about putting yourself in the position where you actually take responsibility to be the one to connect yourself and to connect other people? Enough said. I forgot to take my antidepressants today. I'm sorry. <laughs> Honestly, I, I, there, there's a time just to be direct and candid, right? And I think that this is just one of those moments. I've asked our staff uh, already, our pastors, uh, to take next Monday, a week from now, uh, one day of fasting and prayer, uh, all three meals, all of next Monday is set aside specifically to pray for the work of God in the hearts of our de-church friends and family. Because there's some things that cannot be accomplished by anything except by fasting and prayer. And we've tried a lot, we've tried to get de-church people back and and. What we, here's what we need. We need a deep internal work of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of the de-church people so that it creates a drive and a passion in their hearts to actually get back to the local church. We're going to fast and pray next Monday that God would do that because we need it. Amen. And then... Outside of the D-Church, then there's the somewhat church. These are soft, committed people that are 
oftentimes influenced by weather, recreation, leisure, household chores, sports schedules, etc. Well, the scripture says to be immovable, that there's things that we ought to have such a firm conviction on. And I think when it comes to the Sunday gathering God's people, a firm conviction says that I will gather with God's people on Sunday because this is where I belong. Here's a testimony that came in from last Sunday. Uh, I had so much to do this Sunday. This is last, just last Sunday. I had so much to do Sunday to prepare my home for family and friends visiting, but we came to church instead of watching online to save time. Thinking back, she says, thinking back to last week's message about attending a local church while traveling instead of staying home. When we took 60 seconds to encourage each other, the family sitting next to us was visiting from Hudsonville and here for the Cherry Festival. Little did they know how they encouraged me so blessed to be here this morning. That was birthed out of a firm conviction and a challenge that says, you know, instead of trying to save time and do household chores, the gathering of God's people takes priority. You see it? This is what we're talking about. So consider this firm conviction. If I am in town and in control of my schedule, I will gather at my home church faithfully, regularly, weekly, and that conviction, or, and, and that is birthed out of conviction, not convenience. In other words, I don't skip, I don't make excuses, I don't vote, I don't watch online, I attend with God's people because that's a priority to me. And when you travel, you make it your plan and your holy ambition that you will find a local church wherever you're going because guess what? No matter where you travel around God's green earth, you are first and foremost a Christian and follower of Jesus Christ and you can gather with saints anywhere across this globe. Firm conviction. Immovable, unwavering, firm conviction. How about this one? Let's press it further as if nobody has been offended so far engaged in Sunday morning. We're talking about the type of posture and attitude that you have when you get here. Did you know that you can be here in body but not in mind? Like a wife who may say to her husband, have you heard a word that I've said? The pastor could say that to some of you. Now, we are passionate we get engaged about a lot of things. Here's some polls. I mean, we get angry. Uh, it, it, recently, it was said this, that 30% are often angry when reading the news. 42% are sometimes angry. 90% are more likely to express anger on social media than in person. So the point is, there's things that we get, that, that we get engaged about. I mean, it's emotional to us. And sadly, a good percentage of people come into Sunday morning and they're just totally disengaged. Totally. So Monday, I walked into Rick's office, and I said, Rick, from your perspective, as you lead us in worship as a congregation, I said, you're the one that looks out, and you can see kind of what's going on. How many people are disengaged? With his permission, I share, 40% of people are disengaged. The posture of a spectator is much different than that of a participator. There is nothing worse than people having conversations during worship. Not every conversation that goes on during worship is bad. That's not what we're saying. But typically, you can tell in the posture of somebody, you know, during worship or whatever else. It's just kind of like the I'm here, but I really don't want to be here. Disengaged. Spectators, not participators. 
It reminds me, uh, as I was thinking about that, it reminds me of a uh, 2018 Major League Baseball game. It hit, this went viral last year. A group of sorority girls were there. Uh, I'll let the video speak for itself, but this is what sometimes being a bored spectator looks like. Go ahead. 55 seconds, here it is. Right? <laughs> On a Sunday when we gather together as God's people, there could, in a moment, worship, preaching, there could be a moment that the Holy Spirit does something so significant or is doing something so significant in the hearts of God's people and you totally miss it. Because you're disengaged. You're... It comes back to this unwavering and firm conviction that says that I will be an engaged participator instead of a bored spectator. It shows up in various ways, like your arrival. Some people uh, arrive way too late, way too late when we should be here early to prepare our hearts as well as not to be a distraction to those of us who have been here to prepare our hearts. Also, our posture, eliminating distractions, maybe change the place where you sit because you're around people that do distract you. I get that. It is hard at times because of distractions in the congregation. But finding a place where you can give attention to the words of God. Leaving phones is often a very important thing and bringing your Bible because all of us know that at the fingertips is a million distractions at any moment when you just disengage and you go there. And God was on the move and you just missed it. Always abounding, overflowing and working for God. Here it is, last one. We're gonna deal with these very, very simply here. One New Hope man told me this or told a group of us this. Uh, he said, I am all in with God except my time and my money. And he was being facetious, but it's funny, but it is sad that many of us don't overflow for God because we have no margin in our time and resources. So we, we, we say, we'll follow Jesus, but he doesn't have my time, he doesn't have my money. Well, what would it look like to abound and overflow excessively uh, working for God in fruitful actions? Here we go, bullet points. Uh, in retirement, don't waste your most valuable years. Apply yourself. Invest intentional time in grandchildren and children 
Give priority to eternal things, not just temporal things. As for possessions, consider downsizing or showing restraint with accumulations. Why build bigger barns? Jesus had something to say about that. As for resources, invest generously into kingdom matters. Uh, I'm not asking for new hope. I'm just saying that this is a practical way to put this into action. And my wife told me yesterday, she said that some people of God are sitting on money that is not theirs. You're a manager of God's resources. Invest resources back into the kingdom. Do not feel that this is a plea from new hope. Give it to a great commission endeavor and put that money to work where God needs it. As for recreation, yes, enjoy vacation land today. Please, it's a gorgeous day out, but beware worshiping at the altar of comfort and leisure because they will rob your soul. As for time, create margin. It starts by creating margin, saying no to non-essentials, and then dedicating additional time for the Lord. As for household chores, when you fold clothes, do dishes, change diapers, do so not with a negative attitude, but by giving thanks to God who is exalted over all, that he gives you the privilege of stewarding those household tasks for his glory because your labor done in the Lord and for the Lord's sake, it's not in vain. As for neighbors, show them love and represent Christ well. As for social media, limit screen time so that you can give God more face time. As for the de-churched, why not be an ambassador to rescue those who have fallen away? The scripture says be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What does the Holy Spirit want you to do in response to this message? Let's bow and pray and give him thanks and take action. Father, I I think good things have been said today, things that need to be said in regards to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. If there's anything worthless or chaff that needs to be driven away, we pray that you would do so now. Help your word to take root in the hearts of our people. We pray when it comes to fixed priorities that you would help us to prioritize the things of the kingdom. There is a firm conviction that we need to be immovable on. Help us to know what those firm convictions are and help us to know where you are calling us to abound in the work of the Lord. As an offering of thanksgiving, Lord, and prayer, we say take my life and let it be. Just one verse, would you sing it with me? Stand and join us. great joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, power, honor, and dominion from this time forth and forevermore. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you.